Welcome to the Unqualified Answers podcast. My name is Isaac Brown, and I will be your host. I hope you'll join me today as we delve into the questions regarding the significant or insignificant religious differences between Catholics and Protestants and what has fed into the historic divide between the two. Open wide my door, my Not bad, eh? First attempt. I, uh, yeah, I don't know how it'll work out. I also, honestly, probably should email uh, the band to make sure I can get uh, permission. But, uh, yeah, uh, music, finally. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know yet if, if it'll sound good when it's all put together. But, anyway, yeah, so welcome to the episode, everyone. I uh so glad you're here. Um, to be honest with you, I have some personal circumstances coming up, um, which will either let me post more or I won't be able to post for a long, well, a while. Um, but considering I'm going at about an episode a month, I don't know if you'll actually see any difference. Um, <clears throat> I never intended to be this busy. Or to, uh, it's not even busyness really, I've just been tired. Anyway, I digress. So yeah, today we're going to be talking about Catholics and Protestants. And there's a lot of like historical things you can say about the Reformation. Um, I know when I was studying it in university, one thing that always stuck out to me that I read about was um, at the time of the Reformation, they were building this big cathedral in Paris. I'm not sure if it was Notre Dame or another one or it's not Paris, but France somewhere. I think I think it was Paris, but don't quote me on that. And a lot of German peasantry were upset that their ties and the money they were giving the church for indulgences was going to a church in France when, doubtlessly, they had issues of their own. Um, and these people wouldn't have been rich. And, you know, back then especially, they were very beholden to a good or bad harvest for uh, feasting or suffering a famine. So I'm sure if I was a German, uh, you know, peasant back then, I would have, uh, I would have also been a little miffed. Um, but we're not worried about any of that today um, or what eventually became like the politics of Europe. We're, we're, we're just focusing purely on the religious dimension um, and there's a lot to say about this, and I'm by no means an expert. Uh, when I was studying church history, going to be brutally honest with you, uh, I, I, I disliked the Reformation period the most. I found it not disinteresting. I just, maybe it was the professor, but I, it just didn't jazz me up like some of the other bits of church history, like the early disputes or the church fathers or anything. So I... um. I, I did study it, but I, uh, I I was never passionate about it. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll start with Luther, uh, kind of the most famous 
starter of this whole Protestant Catholic split. And this was not the first split that the church had suffered. The first split was actually uh, what we would call the Great Schism, uh, where the Orthodox churches and the Catholic churches split off. Um, And even before then, you had the Oriental Orthodox churches that had split off, and there had always been little... Um, although the Orientals are not that little, but there had always been little groups that split off. So this wasn't the first time the church had split. Um, what would become notable about it was that it split into like a million different pieces. Uh, basically, the split fostered more splits and more splits. And those splits eventually gained a lot of power in the world by becoming the predominant religion of what is now our current reigning superpower, the United States of America. So the Protestantism became notable by its, I guess, breaking apart and the fact it spread to the right countries to give it political power. So, yeah, so when we focus on why this is talked about more here, then the other schisms, it's because A, most people here are either Protestant or Catholic, but B, also because Protestantism has become more of a, I guess, pressing force. Um, even when Russia was powerful uh, recently, it wasn't powerful as a, as a Orthodox nation, but instead as an, as an atheistic one. So it, uh, it didn't have the same religious weight. So Luther had his 95 theses, and I think the most famous thing that he objected to was indulgences. So basically in Catholic theology, when you die, if you're a Christian, you don't go to heaven right away. You go to purgatory to burn off your sins. Um, it's kind of like, like if you ask a Catholic, like, well, would Hitler go to heaven? Yeah, <laughs> Maybe uh, after a couple million years in purgatory, maybe, but it, I'm, oh my gosh, I just opened that can of worms. We'll, uh, we'll deal with that in another episode. But anyway, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm having trouble keeping myself together. Uh, the, the likelihood of Hitler being in heaven is, is quite low. We will probably deal with this in another episode of Deathbed Confessions. But anyway, um, so in, in, in Catholic theology, you burn off your sins. And it's my understanding that this can take quite a long time. And the ancient, I shouldn't say ancient, but the the older Catholic Church, you could actually buy indulgences for you or a loved one. And what the church would do then is use its authority in heaven to reduce your loved one's time in purgatory. So if you're super rich, probably you'd almost remove uh, your time in purgatory, probably. I shouldn't say that I'm not Catholic. I don't actually know the extent of it, but that was the, the underlying belief that there's this verse about whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven um, to referring to St. Peter. And because the Catholic church operates under the banner of authority of St. Peter, they said, like they said, I have the authority to, to let lessen time in purgatory. And if you give me money, I'll do that. And Luther saw this rightly as an abuse. And I think now with the benefit of hindsight, even the Catholic church agrees with that. Um, they still have indulgences. They're just not as um, <clears throat> abused, uh, abusive or abused as they were in Luther's day. 
Um, and the funny thing is a lot of like the re reforms Luther wanted to get through, I think actually did eventually get through, but uh, what's become, and it, I don't want to dwell too much on the history, um, to, but what started this whole thing were indulgences. And now both sides, even if they don't agree, um, have come to a sort of uneasy under mutual agreement that it was abused and that was wrong. So Luther did his thing and basically it started this, this rolling ball that developed into more extreme divergence. So like Luther had a very high Marian theology. Um, so did Calvin. So like nowadays, a lot of Protestants are very uncomfortable with how Catholics talk about Mary and, and ask her for intercession. But most of the early reformers would have been very comfortable with that and probably would see most modern um, Protestants as, as disrespecting Mary. So that's something that's kind of become more of a thing. And, and most of the reformers had very high Eucharistic theology when it comes to baptism. Um, so most of them would have said, you know, it's it's necessary to be baptized. There is an important distinction in that uh, a Protestant, even back then, would probably say that the baptism is is like one of faith. So a baptism doesn't save you, but it's it's it, it, you working with your faith to do something that Jesus required. And so it's necessary in that it, it's it's kind of a proclamation and Jesus commanded it. But it's not necessary in that it's effectual in and of itself. Um, Luther might say it's effectual to some degree in a different way than a Catholic, but um, Calvinists and, and further on, most Protestants would not. They would say it's it's you have to do it to be faithful, but it, the the, bap the baptism itself is not effectual. Whereas a Catholic would say that a baptism is very necessary and it's effectual in its form and its matter are very important. And we'll get to this because one of the biggest splits is about ordination and we'll talk about form and matter then. So you you have this this these growing splits over basically sacraments and the sacraments are what would ultimately kind of result in the religious separation of the two. In in Catholic theology we're going to get, I guess, right to the heart of it. In order for someone to be able to actually properly do uh, a, a sacrament, and like we just said, you have to have baptism in Catholic theology in order to be saved. And Protestants can't do a baptism because in order to be ordained, you ha it has to have a proper form and a proper matter. I'm Anglican. We are probably the closest to having a... a a claim on apostolic succession. This is very important for Catholicism to be able to trace your ordination back to the apostles and for some all the way to St. Peter, or maybe for all. It is crucial because if you do not have that, then you are invalid. You have no authority to do a baptism. And if you have no authority to do a baptism, you're not baptized. And if you're not baptized, you're not going to heaven. <clears throat> and the way they argue this is not explicitly from scripture. There are a few verses they'll kind of pull out, but the 
where this really started is with the early church where apostolic succession was used as a way to determine whether or not you are a heretic. And so it becomes very important in that sense. If the church accepts you, you're good, not a heretic. If it doesn't, you're done. So it starts off with the early church and with what we some people have, have assumed is an oral tradition of, of the, the apostles themselves that took root. Um, we have no way to know that. It, again, it would be oral. So the only thing you have to go on is the fact that it was such a widely defended belief in the early church that it seems likely it had an early source. So we can say it's a, an ancient belief. And so the Catholics will say now it's necessary. Um, you, you, it's invalid if you don't do it. So you want to be baptized by someone who's in the apostolic succession, because without that baptism, Jesus says you have to be born of uh, water and spirit, I believe. Maybe don't quote me on that. But scripturally, New Testament, you have to be baptized to be saved. Um, or, you know, and whether or not it's effectual in its form, a Catholic would, or in its substance, a Catholic would say so. Um a Protestant would say it's not, but both generally agree in order to be faithful, you have to have it done. Even if one would say, you know, you may as well get ordained by an animist in the middle of Mongolia if you're being ordained by a Protestant. But regardless, um, both would agree generally to be faithful, you need to be baptized. And so if, if you're not baptized, it's a problem. And for a Catholic, every single Protestant is not baptized. If you do the Roman Catholic Initiation for Adults, RCIA, you will be what I would say rebaptized, but what they would say you'd be baptized. So for the first time, um, if you know, if the Catholics especially are strong in this, the Orthodox, they the the bishop might say that you're okay if you come from like an Anglican tradition like mine, but but Catholics, you will not get that. So. The other thing they'd say about Protestant priests like mine is even if we could follow our way back to the apostles, it's that I've seen some Catholics say that we, we've now diverged in matter because what a Catholic believes a priest is, is now different than what an Anglican priest is. So when an Anglican ordains a, a, a priest, the fact that they believe what a priest is, the fact that our beliefs are different about what a priest is means we no longer have the same matter as the church with authority. And therefore we're no longer actually ordaining people to be priests. We just think we are. And so they would say that that invalidates the Eucharist or the, the sacrament, sorry, the Eucharist is another sacrament, but this, that invalidates the sacrament. Therefore not a priest, therefore not ordained or baptized, sorry, not ordained and therefore not baptized. And therefore the Catholics genuinely believe and if you're a catholic and you're like well i don't believe that that's fine this is what like a, a catholic theologian would believe if they're completely orthodox to catholicism um you know there are a lot of catholic people <laughs> that do not believe from a to b everything that's in the the uh the catechism of the catholic church but to be like a fully orthodox catholic um this is it, it's it, if it's in the catechism it's it's what you got to believe. So the they would say we're all 
damned basically. And that's a, that's a big wedge, right? And, and to be fair, now going to the Protestant side, a lot of Protestants would say Catholics are damned because they've polluted the faith. They don't, they don't. So a lot of Protestants would say they don't believe in the efficacy of Jesus because back to the baptism thing, they believe you need to do other things than simply believe they've corrupted sola fides. They've corrupted this idea that you need, you just need faith. They say, Oh, well you need baptism and all. And to be fair, a lot of the people that claim this also believe you need things to do things to be faithful. You, you you're not saved if you're not, if you just say you believe, but, but you don't actually live it out. But that it, that's different. That's saying actions come out of belief. Whereas a Catholic might say the actions in and of themselves are something. It's not the fact that they come out of beliefs. It's that on their own, they're efficacious. And then just without faith, you're also damned before maybe a different reason, right? Like a lot of Catholics are like, oh, I was baptized as a kid. But if you cut yourself off, especially from like regular confession, you're still dead in your sin. So the Catholic would still say that, like, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I was baptized as a kid, your, your Orthodox Catholic would still say that you're uh, probably damned. Um, it's just that you were validly baptized. Uh, congrats. Um, I'm sorry, that sounds so harsh. Uh, but that, that would be the, the biggest difference. So <clears throat> you have one side that doesn't believe Catholics are, are Christians because they polluted the faith. They've put these rituals at what is at the heart of the faith when it's supposed to be faith. And your Catholic will say, you got to confess your sins. That's a, that's a sacrament. You got to go to the Eucharist or the communion um, or you're damned. And the other people will say like, well, we have communion to commemorate Jesus, but without faith, this is all, this is all like worthless. And your Catholic would probably agree. Like if you do all this, but you don't believe you're still going to be damned. It's just, you, you need it too. So, there's this pushback on the Protestant side that says that the Catholic church has like corrupted it. They've thrown in all these man-made things. And by doing that, they've actually pushed people away. They're, they're damning people by making them do more than they need to do. Um, that's an extreme view. If you're like, I'm a Protestant, I don't believe that. Yeah, same. But some people I, I've heard say that. Um, and, and a lot of Protestants, especially in the South, also believe that Catholics have become like straight up polytheists. The way they handle Mary, they they they're like, oh, you pray to Mary. There, there's only one intercessor between God and man, and that's Jesus. And you say that Mary is, is an intercessor, but um, in proper Catholic theology, uh, she she intercedes the way you would ask a friend to intercede. You you and and she, her intercession is just more powerful because of who she is. Catholic theology, she's sinless. She's the mother of Jesus. So there's this idea that Jesus will always be deferential to his mother. So she's very powerful, but she's still not God and you're not praying to her as such. But you, you say that and and then you look at the Marian prayers that some Catholic churches uh, are praying. And oh my gosh, it, it really, it really does look like a prayer you pray to God. You can't get away from it. It really looks bad if you're trying to defend the fact. That like, no, 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 it's it's different. But like, let's be honest with each other, Catholics. Some of these prayers go a little far. 
And then you have like a million titles for Marion. Some sound without explanation on their face problematic, like co-redemptrix. Now you, you get a process and it's like, oh, you're saying Mary is a, is a co-redeemer with Jesus? And in the sense that she birthed Jesus, yes, but then Protestant would say, like, well, it could have been any woman in a Catholic would say, well, no other woman was sinless. Oh, yeah, you get the idea. But the point is that the separation here is that Protestants sometimes rightly will push back and say Catholics treat Mary and sometimes the saints almost like other gods and they get superstitious about it. Like, Sometimes Catholics will be like decked out with like miraculous medals and, and all these sorts of things. And it's, it's, it's like so far from scripture and you're in tradition, I'll, I'll grant, but like it does kind of strike as like, is your faith in God or is your faith in a, a the, this, the saint to do what God does? So there's that big difference. And, and also from the Protestant side, there's a pushback against the, the historic claim Catholics claim most of their authority from one verse in the new Testament, which is uh, Jesus saying to Peter, uh, you're, you know, on this rock, I will build my church and Catholics take that very literally. And they then say, St. Peter went to Rome and started the church, hence Roman Catholic Catholic on its own just means universal. So, that if you interpret this verse not to be so tied to a person and instead to be on this rock, meaning either the faith or the rock being the church who Peter was head of, but whose person can change, then the whole kind of historic basis scripturally crumbles. And you'll find a lot of Protestants that attack then Catholics saying, well, we have like an ex-cathedra saying from, from the Pope where he sat on St. Peter's throne, he prayed, and because whatever we bind on earth, we bound in heaven, the Pope said this and it's infallible. It's like scripture, so this interpretation is correct. You have a Protestant saying it's, it's ridiculous that the Bible isn't that clear, and some, some guy praying is great, but then sitting on a throne doesn't suddenly make his words infallible. And then you'll get a Catholic that'll shoot back. Yeah, yeah, but then you can interpret the Bible anyway, and it's the wild, wild west of biblical interpretation. And <laughs> you got where I'm going. I've, I've seen these arguments descend into just absolute anarchy. So there's this separation of, of how much authority do you put in tradition to? You know, like, most Protestants will say scripture alone. Like, if you cannot prove it scripturally, it's fine. You know, you're, you're free to, to kind of work with the Holy Spirit to make an understanding um, from, to get an understanding from God. But Catholics will say, it has been decided and it can still be decided. And there's, there's power and there's strength in that. Um, the only question is, is that legitimate, right? You can just say that, but is that enough? And um, again, I, there's, you're probably going to get a sense now that there's a lot more condemnation from Catholics than from Protestants, which is true theologically, but not in function. Theologically, I do not see a Catholic as damned, and there's less 
explicitly damnable um, positions. And this is hard to say because Protestantism is such a mixed bag. You have a lot of Protestants that might say, I'm going to hell because I celebrate the uh, Sabbath on Sunday instead of Saturday. But uh, because Protestantism, and maybe I should say Anglicanism because it's what I'm familiar with, but Protestantism on a whole has less to object with Catholicism now. And what is objectionable is the faith of Catholics and how they understand it that can really differ from one to the other and how what, what a lot of people might find objectionable is actually the way Catholics believe and function when, cause like a lot of Catholics believe is any things that not even the Catholic church agrees with. And so they'll say, well, I don't like Catholicism because of this. And it's like, well, Catholics don't teach that. It's just this one person in this one church. So from the Protestant side, there's the divide, which was once so, violent because the Catholic Church was so, for lack of a better term, out to lunch with indulgences and killing Protestants and all this. Um, but now it's the, the Catholic Church has kind of got to a point where there's there's much less that's really outright damnable without dealing with the Catholic individually and what they believe on a one-on-one, one-to-one level, going through each one. Um, now even at like vatican councils there are lutherans and there are protestants so from our side you know like some catholics might be damned because they have crazy beliefs i don't like that word i shouldn't have said that because they have incorrect beliefs but as a whole it's, it's hard to find anything that's like easy to nail down yeah that's why catholics are awful but from the catholic side it's it's black and white and so nowadays the separation might be more one way than the other but there's a big liberal faction in the Catholic Church that objects to some of these more ancient divisive beliefs and is now pushing them to try to get more unity. The ecumenical movement is trying to like bring more churches together and undo some of these hurtful divisions. <coughs> and there are a lot of Catholics that are part of that movement. So it's it, it's work to be done. And, you know, like there's so many different things that one could find objectionable, but it's 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 we're working on it. And I don't think the Catholic Church will ever get to a place where they 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 merge. But maybe if we, you know, it'd be nice as an Anglican to have a day where they don't say I'm going to hell. That'd be super nice because I don't believe I'm going to hell, obviously, or I wouldn't be Anglican. I'd be Catholic. Um. So, yeah, and if you're a Catholic and you're listening to this and you're like, this guy is so wrong, this guy's, you know, completely ignorant, he's not a Catholic, he's not a, then fair, I'm not, and I could be wrong, but I guarantee you everything I've said to you has been said to me by a Catholic or I've read it. Um, you can Google our Protestant priest valid, or in my case, Anglican, and you will see thing after thing about how priests aren't, aren't you know, Protestant priests aren't valid. And then Google if you can be saved without a uh, baptism and Catholicism, and you'll be able to put two and two together real quick. You don't need me to tell you that. So this is kind of some of the religious basis for the split. And if you ask me if I think it's overcomable, it's not a word, but can we ever overcome it? I don't know. But I, I'm encouraged by the fact that Lutherans are at 
certain Catholic councils now. I'm encouraged by Catholic pushback. And I don't want Catholicism to stop being Catholic. I like the fact that they're so hardcore about this. I I just wish we could have an honest conversation about the perhaps the fact that they might be incorrect about how damned the other side is. And I, I wish Protestants would stop saying Catholics are damned for things that they don't actually believe in. Because, believe me, a lot of Protestants think Catholics are like Satan incarnate, you know, mad syncretists who are like going to put a voodoo hex on them if they turn their back in a second if because they've, they're so lost in what they believe. We need to get to the point where we realize that, you know, we're not evil. We do all believe in Christ. We all believe Jesus uh, died, rose again. We all believe in the Trinity. I, I would say there are more... There's more overlap than there is division, but that division just happens to be about theologically very significant issues. So yeah, I'm going to try to find a good outro song. I hope you like the intro song. It's from a song called C Minor by my favorite band, Me Without You. Unfortunately, they're, they've, they've, I think they've just finished their farewell tour, so I hope it's okay for me to use it because they're, I think they're done now. Um, but yeah, I'm probably going to, pick another me without you song to to outro and as far as i know i might just keep these two songs for a while and only update them if i get like permission from a friend's band or something because i do have a friend's band who i could be maybe use yeah i want to thank you so much for listening to this episode i'll be honest with you i do have questions that i i still have to answer but i forget what the next one on the docket is however once it's uploaded you'll be able to see in the title if it interests you I hope you'll stay around. God loves you. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a very blessed new year. Uh, Now that we are in 2023, may it be better than 2022. And especially the the pandemic years. God is love.